Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Episode 149, Evolution or Hardcore. Orville Burke is who we're doing today. Steve Smee here in the Moabsa joining me from across the pond. How you doing? It's damp, it's horrible, but we're going to heat this stuff up by kicking ass on Orville. Let's see what we can do. Let's hit it. So the first, you know, uh, first thing we have to say, this is a very interesting guy. This is one of the more, this is a hit and run type situation when it comes to bodybuilding. This is a guy who... He kind of got peaked in his late 30s, and, you know, it would have been nice to see him compete and try to get first place at Mr. Olympia, but he fell just short. And then he had a medical issue, which caused him to essentially retire from bodybuilding. So Mobster and I are going to kind of speculate on that a little bit. Not a lot of information about him out there, guys. And the interesting thing is, You know, we've had to dig up a lot of uh, information, but he's not really out there because he's a guy that kind of quit. And when he quit, he quit. I mean, there's I mean, I couldn't even find anything on his social media. I couldn't find anything on, you know, on some of his business ventures he might be doing. So it's kind of an interesting situation with him. Uh, So. The thing he was known for, he sported one of the most insane physiques of all time because of the width of his body. I mean, he was so thick. It was incredible. At his peak, 5'10", 250 pounds. His competition weight was a ripped 218 pounds in the late 90s. He was able to add more size into the 2000s where he earned uh, Mr. Olympia top 10 finishes. And then before he hit 40 years old, that's when he started having his medical issues. So it was the late 30s. So let's, let's talk about his early life and how he ended up moving up the uh, bodybuilder ranks. Born and raised in Jamaica. Very weak and skinny back as a kid. I actually saw a picture of him online when he was a young man. I don't know if you saw it too, Mobster, but he looked like just... No, you know, it would be great to see that comparison. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is there if you guys want to Google image... And we'll try to include that too in the in the write-up in the article if you guys click click that. But he looked like just a regular skinny kid, like an Urkel, you know, like the Urkel look, just that skinny, nerdy, dweeb type of look. He started working out to build his back up stronger because he had an extremely skinny and weak back. And I'm the I was the same way. I can remember like in elementary school, we do pull-ups and, and PE, and I couldn't even do one pull-up. And then these other kids were like banging out a bunch of pull-ups. Of course, those kids, you know, they, their parents got them involved in sports and organized sports. And me, you know, I beg my mom every year, Hey mom, you know, could I please, you know, um, get me signed up for football, get me signed up for soccer. And my mom would be like, okay. And then she'd go get the information and be like, I'm sorry, it's, it's 60 bucks. We just can't afford it. So I didn't get to play organized sports. So I got a late start just like him. And that's what happened. He got a late start with things, but this caused him to be really motivated 
So he would compete with his friends doing pull-ups and chin-ups after school was over. And this resulted in a rapid improvement in physique. Once you tap into those genetics, that's when amazing things can happen. So that's what happened with him. And that's why he kind of had that insecurity from a young man. And I think as an adult, he kind of built on that insecurity when it came to his back. Maybe someone made fun of his back when he was young, or maybe someone made fun of him because he didn't, couldn't do a pull-up on the playground. Um, when he visited a store, his motivation to become a pro bodybuilder happened because he opened up a book and he saw a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that's actually what happened too with Samir Banu when he was a kid. He was walking through the streets and saw in the display in a, a side window and he saw Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that's what kind of got him, I, I want to become. So Arnold Schwarzenegger has inspired so many people and he still to this day inspires uh, inspires us. I know he inspires me. I know he inspires you, mobster, at our age. Oh, yeah. And we remember him growing up. Yep. We all remember yeah, yeah. those images when he was, when we were, I remember like him in commando uh, picking up his daughter at the end of the movie and carrying her off the, the island. You know, commando was a shitty yeah. movie, but I remember that image. Wow, this guy's tough. He's protecting his daughter, blah, blah, blah. Well, Art Zeller taking black and white photographs of Arnold at his best around the mid 70s in uh, Gold's Gym with these skylights and all those kind of pictures with the gang and around the time of Pumping Iron. For sure, for sure. I mean, some po pictures posed, but a lot of these are what we call nowadays grab shots. And you just saw this kind of like monster and who was just uber confident. And then something we've addressed in a podcast we just recorded before this one is this idea that you take what you are as a bodybuilder and you apply it to a businessman. And I've got a few of his uh, biographies and autobiographies here. And he, he, he <laughs> to, to, to put it crudely, has his shit down pat. He's, he's really put himself in that particular way. But I can imagine going to a bookstore, like you say, with these guys and you're training or whatever else, and then you see a picture of Arnold on the cover of a magazine or, or a book of Arnold on it, and you go, oh, my God, why am I doing this stuff? I, I, I need to take my game up several notches because this guy's just motivated me like you would not believe. So let's finish a little bit of them. I'll let Mobster come in and give his thoughts. So what was interesting is, you know, he knew, hey, if I want to succeed at this, he's got to leave Jamaica. So he came to the U.S. in the early 1980s. His first jobs were things like security. He got his first U.S. citizenship in the mid-90s, and he lived in New York City. He maintained a thick Jamaican accent even after being in the United States for so many years. It just doesn't go away. So if you well, some pull up some of the videos where he's actually talking, you'll notice yeah. that accent. And that's, that is a Jamaican accent guys. Um, <clears throat> I'll bring in mobster a little bit, kind of take us a little bit in your thoughts of his childhood and then take us into his competitions and Mr. Olympia. Well, I, I'm old enough and I've got a, a ton of stuff as Steve knows here on the history of bodybuilding. And there's a bunch of black guys from the Caribbean, West Indian, Jamaican, uh, St. Lucia and, and elsewhere all around the Caribbean. And you, you've got a combination of genetics, which is maybe, uh, and without meaning to sound horrible, comes from the slave trade and breeding and whatever else, uh, two, three hundred years ago. But what you've also got is an incredibly healthy kind of lifestyle. In fact, more healthy probably when the guys are poor than when they have access to money and, and, and a junk food. Because if you look at the food that these guys are eating, it's same as what Steve talks about, it's, it's, it's healthy chicken, these are these ones that you have on your, your small holdings. You're eating fruit from the trees. 
you're running up and down the mountains, you're running up and down the beaches. They're, they're very competitive in terms of, funny enough, uh, two or three sports. One here in the UK, uh, uh, we've, we, when we've had our arse handed to us in cricket, it, it's because a lot of those guys are come from the West Indies and they're playing cricket on the sand, on the beach, they're swimming, they're doing healthy stuff every single day, and you're underneath this fantastic Caribbean sun. So we, we can think of a bunch of great bodybuilders that have come from there and, and, and done extremely well in American and, and, and in worldwide bodybuilding. So that's, that's part of it. Something else with regards to Orville, when you see Orville, in fact, this is a couple of comparison videos uh, that people have put on YouTube where they'll say, the bodybuilders you've never heard of, and, and then one of the ones that sticks in my mind is the screenshot, the image that they used was a slightly morphed Orville standing next to a very large, but not morphed, probably around a 300 pound mark, Ronnie Coleman. And he's one of those, and I said this to Steve in, in the pre-show, you go, how is this guy not kicking ass? Orville, when you guys look him up, looks like the kind of guy that if you saw him in the gym with his aesthetics, with his look, but not compared to, say, a top contender, Mr. Lowe, Mr. Universe, Mr. Olympia, whatever. He's just an absolute freak. And whether it's the drive as a young man that's made him that particular way or something else, Steve, which, funny enough, we would, we, would, we touched on a thread on Evo uh, forum last week where uh, people were talking about genetics, and I say this, and they needed to understand what genetics was, and I went into that in the thread. But the other thing is, we never know what we're going to become in terms of our physique, in terms of our strength and whatever else. We can have an idea. We can look at our parents and our grandparents. We can have an idea that Orville could have looked around him at his brothers, his cousins, his uncles, his dad, whatever. He could have looked around in the community. He could say, well, a lot of the black guys are real lean. I'm going to be lean. But look at the size of my uncle. Look at the size of my granddad, whatever. And he can have an idea. The truth of the matter is, guys, when, when we start our journey into this game, you won't have an idea of how far you're going to go. If you look, as Steve's already said, at the picture of him as a young man, teenager, and then compare him to what he become, it's mind-blowing. The, the joint sizes will probably take the same, but the amount of muscle that he was able to put on, there's no way anybody could have turned around and said, this is what he's going to look like in 10 years or 15 years with that kind of training. And something, and it's one of those little mobs of tips, is you need to enjoy the journey, guys. Because if you've got no idea how far you can go, then enjoy the journey getting there. So Joel's definitely one of those guys. Steve also mentioned about the security. Funny enough, he did security for Donald Trump, Steve. So that, that was kind of interesting for me. Um, he, he had the, the back. We're really going to get into the back training in a little while. But his back, <laughs> for the weights he was lifting... But it's just kind of on another level. The shoulder width at 510 and the lap width with the waist that he had is kind of almost like great lumps of meat hanging down from the armpit, sitting on the waist muscles, sitting on his obliques. Almost, almost too much, but definitely someone, if you ever saw him in a gym, you'd be, you'd be absolutely blown away. As I said, I would refer to the aesthetic side. Joel... Uh, sorry, Joel, that we might be doing in another, Joel Stubbs, we might be doing in another, an Orville, had the kind of physiques which you would imagine should be winning every competition there is. It's only when you put them up against the number one, Mr. Olympia, the Mr. Universes, 
etc of uh, bodybuilding you realize that the top top guys with your very rare exception for the history of the sport have what we call a complete physique there are no gaps and Orville and others are the kind of superman walking down the street oh my god this guy looks like he's from another planet kind of physique but most people could still tell if you put them against a Ronnie Coleman you put them against uh, a, a, a bodybuilders like Sean Rand, whatever else you go okay this this is right so he's got intercostals it's all tied together and Orville never had that physique he wasn't quite tied together however as a bodybuilder he did as well as going as far as winning a night of champions and winning I believe which is where he got his pro card from I'm going to say uh, a big Canadian competition I say the Canada Cup Canada Pro uh, competition over over there so Definitely world-class. I believe his best place in the Olympia, I'm going to say, was uh, sixth, looking at the numbers here, uh, and definitely a top-10 contender. But as Steve said earlier on, somebody came in, burned, as we say, very, very brightly, very, very briefly, and then disappeared, which we'll get into the whys and wherefores in a second. I think the reason that there isn't much out there on him, videos, there's only a little bit on training, and most of the videos I've seen are a derivative of the uh, one from MOC. Uh, very few articles because he came in very, very quickly. Maybe the Jamaican accent threw the guys for interviews and maybe he just wasn't one of those guys that was tied into interviewing anyway. And because he disappeared so quickly, because he wasn't on the scene that long, as soon as people become interested, he was gone. So there wasn't that many articles out there, whatever else. So, yeah, it's definitely... We've got a guy here in the UK called Trevor Crouch, and Trevor has a very similar physique. Joel Stubbs has a very similar physique, and they are definitely someone, if you ever saw in a magazine, they're kind of cartoonish, but never, ever, ever going to be the kind of guy that wins the Mr. Olympia. You need a little bit more, a little bit of something else. So, yeah, he's that kind of guy there, Steve. So we, so we talk about the training. Let's kind of get into what happened first Okay, to yeah. um. So I actually can, I, I've been trying to confirm this as far as we know, you know, he's still alive, but he joins the list of guys like Flex Wheeler and Tom Prince who had very serious medical conditions, but are still alive. And so what happened with him, even though he had a short window where he was a top 10 IFBB uh, bodybuilder from 99 to 2002 and he also won first at the 2001 nine champions and first at the 01 toronto pro he fell into a coma guys he had surgery for a yeah he sometimes what happens a lot when we're weight training what happens as we get older a lot of younger guys don't understand this yet is you uh -huh. try to push through these injuries these yeah. nagging injuries that we get. And when you're younger, you can push through them. It's a, it's a kind of a, a false sense of security because <clears throat> you're younger, you push through them and then they go away. You get another injury, you push through it, they go away. You're expected to do that, especially at the pro level. I mean, you're a professional athlete and you have a nagging elbow, your team needs you to be out there. They're paying you, paying you millions of dollars. You're going to play, you know? But at the end of the day, what happens is when you get older, those nagging injuries, they turn chronic and they start disturbing your life. They start disturbing your weight training. They start disturbing your athletic performance. They start disturbing your sleep. They start disturbing 
little things. If you have an elbow issue, I mean, it can be such a pain. Like it can determine what arm you use to bring groceries home, pick up groceries out of your car. You pick up groceries with the wrong arm and then your elbow hurts. You're like, oh, my elbow. Then you re-aggravate the injury. So in those situations, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to, you know, get the surgery if you want to resolve it because it's not resolving on its own. So he went ahead and did that. And then when you go in and get surgery, what, are, what do doctors tell patients who are too big? Whether you're too muscular or you're too fat, they tell you, you got to lose weight. It's too dangerous to do the surgery unless you lose weight. So in his situation, he went in and got the surgery done. Maybe the doctor assumed, hey, this guy's got a lot of muscle. He doesn't have a lot of fat, so it's going to be okay. really doesn't matter, guys. I mean, if you're a big guy like that, being big is being big. If it's fat or muscle, it's still a lot of pressure on your body, a lot of pressure on your heart. So what ends up happening is when you've got a weak heart, as he did, because that's what happens with bodybuilders, they got weak hearts because they're so freaking big and their heart has to carry that body and it's a lot of pressure on the body and they're not capable of doing, you know, lots of endurance, they're bodybuilders, you know, so and all the steroids they're using and all the other stuff they're using it all puts pressure on the heart. So during the surgery, it didn't go well. And, you know, I could not find a lot of information about it, but this happens, you know, all the time. Anytime you go under the knife, guys, there's complications that can happen. So you always want to use surgery as a last resort for anything in life. Always a last resort for this reason. The doctor could have screwed up. The nurse could have screwed up. The anesthesiologist could have screwed up. Anything can happen here. And your body can just go into a coma. And that's what happened with his. So he basically went under the knife thinking, hey, you know, I'm going to come out of this. I'm going to rehab my elbow. I'm going to be back competing again. Instead, he came out of it and had to retire. So the doctors actually were able to save his life. But that was a close call. And you know, Mobster and I, we can, uh, you know, talk about that. You want to talk about that a little bit, Mobster? I'm curious to hear your yeah. thoughts on this because you're you're an older guy and you yep. may have to have surgery at some point. Um, what are your thoughts on this? And what are your thoughts on on if it was a more of a psychological thing with him to quit? I, I think it's, I think you're right because I, that was my kind of approach thinking about it in terms of, is it one of those, his heart was fucked and they said, listen, you get this a lot of time with doctors. Um, we all like the stories where someone says, oh, he's never going to walk again. And the fella says, oh, fuck you, I'm going to prove you wrong. And through grit and determination, manages to walk again, walks down the aisle for his wedding and whatever else. Sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes they'll say, you listen, you, you, was in a, you had a heart attack, it stopped. You went into a coma. We was able to save you. But listen, fella, uh, Oville, it's, you're never going to be the same again. It's my recommendation that you stop lifting these crazy weights, that you let that muscle shrink down. Your heart is able to cope with you weighing 200 pounds, not 250 pounds. And uh, if you ever have an operation again, maybe you're going to die. And again, as Steve said, there's not enough information for us to say 100% one way or the other exactly what the, 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 the status is. Equally, in my mind, it might just be one of those things with some people, this happens. You get in a crazy car crash, or even someone close to you dies, sometimes you go, listen, I'm, we, we, we've all got, but I'm of an age, and I think Steve's of enough of an age, that we've all got buddies that are probably OD'd, doing recreationals. And a lot of you younger guys listening already do your recreationals. You get 10, 15 years in, and you're only enjoying yourself on a Saturday night. 
I guarantee you, if you've got 10 buddies like yourself that are doing recreationals, one will OD, one will die. And maybe that's the wake up call you need. So this is a situation where maybe nearly dying, heart stopping, you're kind of dead, even if it's only very briefly, and then you're in a coma, so you could still die, and then you recover. Maybe that was what it was, Steve. Maybe it just goes, hell, do you know what? Fuck bodybuilding. I'm not going to win the Mr. Olympia. I, 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 I want my health. I want a life. I want to go off and have, you know, be with my, my, my wife, my girlfriend. I want to be with my family, my kids. Screw this and just, just walk away. And it's going to happen. Not every person that we're going to do a podcast is going to be an eternal champion. 20, 30, 40 years still involved in the iron game, wherever else. Not many of them are going to be a Samir Banu, still at the Misty Olympia, still at the Arnold, doing interviews with Dave from RX and all that kind of stuff. You're, you're not every person is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Sometimes they're just going to say, you know what, it ain't worth it. And, and enough is enough. I could have died. I need to be doing other things. I need to be going up mountains and looking at sunrises and all that. Yeah. So the psychological thing. <laughs> Listen, guys. Nearly dying can scare the fucking shit out of you. Trust me, if any of you guys have ever been in, in a near car crash where you literally the old adage of seeing the life flash before your eyes happens, then maybe that's what it was. Maybe it's like wakes up, someone's there saying that you was in a coma for a couple of days, your heart stopped, you nearly died. Just go, fuck bodybuilding, fuck weight training. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to learn to play cards. I'm going to go tend my garden, whatever. So the psychological things, they're true. 100%, it has to be to motivate you to train and do the crazy stuff. Equally, having this kind of situation occur to you, might even be something stupid like he promised his wife or his girlfriend, listen, uh, I'm not going to roll the dice anymore. I'm not going to risk stuff. I'm not going to do any crazy things. Uh, if, if you told me I nearly died, I could have lost you, I could have lost everything. I don't know what it would have been, you know. So, you know, she says, Listen, you've got to do this thing for me. And he loves him. He loves his missus, his wife, his kids, his girlfriend, whatever. And he says, okay, I walk away. This is it. This is the day. So it can happen. It's, it's, it, from our point of view, sometimes it's both hella scary, but understandable. And you, you sometimes wonder, because he was just under 40 when he kind of finished there or thereabouts, Steve, where, where we've got guys winning the Mr. Olympia now around late 30s, early 40s, if he'd have done another couple of years, would he, would he have done better? Would he have placed in the top three? It is what it is. We, we can't say one way or another. Back to you, Steve. Yeah, so really quick, um, I didn't include this in the article because it's speculation, it's off a of forum, but a, a couple guys were talking about him and they had mentioned a couple things. Number one, the last we've heard of him, he was in a nursing home with severe brain damage. Wow. I'm not sure if that was from the coma or if that was from later on in life. And then number two, someone said that the story was the, indeed the anesthesiologist did screw up the doses, which caused him to be in a coma for six weeks. <laughs> so if that was the case, we can guess that maybe, you know, that's what caused, you know, the brain damage being in a coma for, for six weeks like that. So it's really, um, but again, this is speculation. I didn't include it in the article, but you guys can kind of look into that and maybe try to dig it up. But we don't really know actually where he is today. He might not even be alive because I haven't been able to confirm alive or dead. So yeah, mobster, go ahead and uh, finish up with that. And then I want to hear your training and his back situation. One more thing very quickly then. Uh, myself, when I was nine years of age, I had a blood clot in the brain. 
And the symptoms for me before the operation to remove the blood clot was blurred vision. I couldn't walk in a straight line, uh, terrible, terrible headaches. Now I'm nine years of age, frightening the fuck out of my family. And of course, it's one of those operations, even at my age of nine, where if they don't remove the blood clot, I'm going to be fucked for life. There's not going to be much that you can do with me and potential to be a vegetable where us is really, really high. So the idea, especially with the lack of oxygen, for example, to the brain where your heart stops and potential issues with, with, with uh, the anesthesia, uh, as you said earlier on, fucking up uh, is incredibly high. It's one of the reasons why you always sign a waiver, guys, when you're having an operation, you go in there for an elbow up, not Orville, and potentially you end up in a world of pain and just absolutely crazy. And there's always a risk with these things, especially, for example, we get guys on the forums that talk about having operations and stand on steroids when you think, okay, listen, do what needs to be done, come off the gear, get the operation, be healthy, be safe, and then you can make a decision about going back on afterwards. Orville is one of those, perhaps a warning shot across the bowels in terms of you learning something from this and uh, appreciating that maybe there's more to life than doing some of the crazy things that we occasionally like to do for, for our passions and for the things that bring us a certain amount of joy. Right, training. So we always do pre-show research, but like Steve said, there's not a lot of information out there. Uh, the one that I looked at was from uh, Mitsuo Kabi, who used to do the uh, Battle for the Olympia videos. And that's because, as I said, most of the YouTube videos that refer to Orville pretty much go back to those photographs and the images that come from that video. And the training, funny enough, Steve, it's one of those things where you look at him and think he's going to be an absolute monster in the gym. But he had Steve Weinerstrom giving him advice, and he was doing perfectly normal T-bar rows, pull-downs, dumbbell rows, all this kind of stuff. There was a good balance, I would say, that was weighted towards free weights over machines, but there was some machines in there. Hammer strength really wasn't at its peak at that time, so you're still looking at low cable rows, that kind of stuff. But what was interesting for me is he wasn't using crazy weights. I believe on the video that I saw, he did T-bar rows, I think, four plates, so 180 pounds. All downs was with a decent bit of weight, a couple of hundred pounds. Uh, and obviously the volume is in there, and I think this is probably the case with Orville, that was a moderate weight, high volume kind of guy. And the, and the advice he got from Steve was along the lines of, keeping the weights low. Don't risk injury. Don't do crazy stuff. Don't, don't tear muscle up or whatever else. But because of his genetics, Steve said, and I quote, the muscle will come. And in fact, Orville addresses this in the video with a piece to camera. He's got uh, two people with him in the video. One is the person that's going to help him with his uh, posing uh, to bring his game up in that particular way and better demonstrate his physique. And the other person was like a buddy that was going to be assisting on the day for the purposes of the video, but you don't see anything crazy. And Orville goes to the camera and says, this is the advice I got. He says, Steve's a great guy. He's a top judge. And as we know, became uh, uh, the number one head judge for the IPB pro competitions. I don't think he was at the time, but he was certainly making his journey there. And he was the one that says, you don't need to do crazy weights. You don't need to do like 500 pound rows and six, 700 pound squats and Orville was a good example of precisely that with the volume he was doing to produce the muscle his response to the stuff that he was doing let's be honest guys Orville is or certainly was if he was still if he's still alive is a genetic freak for the the majority of our listeners you couldn't do what Orville did 
and have the same response to the stimuli. And that's what we're looking at here. Sometimes with some bodybuilders, and maybe others, one of those fellows again, with a moderate, light to moderate weight, and just being able to develop the muscle from that kind of stuff. Some of us will need to lose huge weights. Some people would need more volume. I don't think all feels that kind of person. I think he's the kind, I said to Steve, he might have started off skinny, but he's the kind of fellow that coughs and gets an extra inch on his chest, farts, and there's another inch on his arm. He just looks like that kind of person. Now, he'd probably tell you he trained crazy hard in the gym, but I think we know that there's blokes out there that trained before and are training now, and they're training way, way, way harder just to get half the amount of muscle that uh, Orville was able to put on his physique. So, yes, yeah, Steve, I mean, we're not looking, as I said, at, once again, guys, you, you are quite often looking for some sort of secret. There is no secret. He's doing the same damn exercises as you are. In fact, he's doing some less. He didn't have those hammer, low row lemmers, high row hammer machines, none of the leverage type stuff in the videos that we've seen. It's just cable machines, free weights, T-bar rows, dumbbell rows. It's nothing special, literally nothing special. Even the training style is not that special. He's doing shrugs. So, and, 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 and develops a world-class back that's just layered with thick, thick, thick muscle. And none of the weights are outstanding. I mean, literally four plates on the T-bar rows, medium-sized dumbbells, maybe 100, 120 pound dumbbells, three quarters, maybe a little bit more of the stack on pull downs. Nothing that would blow your mind. But when you see him doing it, you're like, damn, how has he that built looking like that? Maybe, maybe, maybe with something that Steve touches on is that foundation with the competitions of the chins and all the real, real, real basic stuff when he's a teenager. And that kind of thing, Steve touched on it again a little bit, was this idea that the guys that seem to have the best backs, nearly every single one does some kind of chin up. It's very rare to see that not being the case. I can think of the two, two or three top Mr. Olympias that have not, but pretty much every person we know that's got a good back, it isn't a top pro, is a chin-up merchant. And I think this idea that he was doing chins as a young man and being pushed by his buddies and having competitions where it was set a massive foundation for the muscle that he was able to develop relatively easy later on, Steve. So let's get into a steroid use, what you guys all want to want to hear about. So first off, everyone wants to know, the first question, if you're listening to this, did the steroid use contribute to his health issue? Well, first of all, you know, when you have these injuries, guys, steroids make it very difficult for the body to, to heal injuries, to repair injuries, because they're inflammatory in the body. So if you use anabolic steroids and you get a little injury, it can turn nagging quickly. And then you're in the gym, not to mention, you're in the gym working out, you're doing more weights, doing heavier weights, you're doing more reps, you're doing more sets, you're pushing yourself. And that's going to cause these injuries to get even worse. So absolutely, steroid use can contribute to injuries. Steroid use can absolutely contribute to heart issues. They are inflammatory. His heart was actually enlarged from what the, the stuff I've read. He had an enlarged heart when the doctors went in there for it, when they realized, hey, his heart, he's got a coma. And that's what happened. He had an enlarged heart. So definitely the steroids could have affected his issue, even if the anesthesiologist screws up. You know, you stay in a much better chance of being okay as a normal person, not as a person who had surgery. So, 
Um, let's get into kind of his steroid use here. When a guy um, around that time, guys, back in those days, a lot of them, they messed around with Parabolin, which is trend, Trembolone Hex. And that's, um, it's basically at the time, Trembolone was pharmacy grade. You, you could buy pharmacy grade Trembolone. And what guys would do, especially in the 90s, they would actually use this stuff. Like they, they once they realized this stuff was around, they were all over it. So we can definitely speculate he either used that or he used just the trembolone, other the trembolone acetate, some type of trembolone. And you know, it's not far fetched to think that he ran over a thousand milligrams a, a week, and that alone could screw up your heart. You know, you can run trembolone at two hundred milligrams a week, and it's going to be ab- absolutely rough on your heart. I can't imagine twelve hundred milligrams a week. So that's what guys, these guys were running. Another thing that they liked to run was these shorter esters, testosterone propionate, maybe 800 milligrams a week, then stopping it ahead of his competition. Masteron, 1,000 milligrams a week, okay, into your competition gives you a nice hardened look, hardened up his muscles. And then Decadrobolin was still around. Guys in the 70s, guys in the 80s, and guys in the early 90s loved Deca. And it started to fall off a little bit as we got into the 90s. So by the time he was hitting his peak, you know, even though some of the newer guys were getting away from DECA, I think some of the older school guys, some of the older guys his age, because he had been using steroids likely in his 20s, there's pictures of him even in his late teens, 18, 19. He looked absolutely jacked. So I don't think that there was any doubt that he had started using steroids even, you know, at a very young age. So Deca would have been the ones that they would like to mess with mobs or more of a, uh, one, one of those uh, steroids that really guys enjoy 1200 milligrams a week of Deca. You can run a lot of it. It's a mild steroid. It's not going to give you a lot of side effects. Guys really, really love Deca and it helps, it helps with the joints too. And then another one, Winstrol, 100 milligrams a day, Winstrol. You know, why, why Winstrol? Winstrol is a dryer. Ahead of your competition, you want to definitely be on Winstrol to dry you out and then the Masteron to harden you up. So this is a lot of steroids, guys, both injectables and orals. So Mobster, what else do you think that he was messing with? And I'll give you some thoughts on those. I'll, I'll do it the, the other way around. Just the way we've been talking, I'm thinking, I wonder what he had access to when he was in the Caribbean versus what he was able to get access to in the States. We now know, of course, in this day and age, it is with sponsors on our forum being a good example, we can have access to pretty much every peptide, all, two or three different kinds of growth, two or three different, the slow acting, the fast acting insulin. We can get pretty much our hands on more or less anything that we want for bodybuilding now, but certainly all of the safer uh, things without getting into the NP and simple and wherever else. We, we have access, and even those things, uh, whether we like it or not, it's accessible to pretty much every kind of bodybuilder there is. But it makes me wonder, and again, this is where we're coming from this information from the earlier parts of his stack, what he was able to get access to, both in terms of actual access to drugs and access to information in the Caribbean before he came to the States. And then once he arrives in the States, its accessibility has gone up another notch. And that's even in the 80s and 90s, and the early 2000s when he was doing his thing. So there's definitely yeah, the, the other aspect, of course, which we've touched on in the earlier part of the podcast, and I'll specify in terms of the drug now, of course, is the human growth hormone. I've said in multiple podcasts that for a lot of bodybuilders, and Steve said this as well, 
You're constantly inflamed with training. You're trying to negate that with the steroids and the other PEDs that you do. And of course, with recovery and diet. But we know that he had this operation for his elbow. So we can say straight away that there's a damage thing going on here. And he's a kind of angular looking guy. And I don't mean necessarily from growth hormone in terms of his elbows and his knees sticking out. But when you see him, the way that his physique is shaped, the, the elbow's quite pointed in terms of the high tricep position and the tendon exposing the elbow joint, where some guys have got so much muscle, it almost covers the elbow joint. He's not got that kind of physique. So he's got a damaged elbow. The human growth hormone is great for repairing damage. You're talking about accessibility to human growth hormone that perhaps he didn't have in the Caribbean that he got when he came to the States. And then, of course, there's a the, 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 the genetically predisposed to do with, with drugs anyway, in terms of having thin skin. I don't think we could find a photograph of this guy looking like he's out of shape. And again, that's a combination of genetics, uh, diet, training as a teenager and everything else. And again, again, the, 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 the idea of some of the numbers of these drugs is probably kind of right because of the reference that I made earlier to burning very, very bright, but for a very short period of time. Maybe one of those guys is a very high responder, but without realizing the health issues. And something that occurred to me as you were talking there, Steve, that a lot of black fellas, especially those from the Caribbean, have he might have had undiagnosed sickle cell anemia. I believe the enlarged heart is something that Robbie Robinson has, has had issues with. If your sickle cell anemia is undiagnosed, if there hasn't been spotted on a blood test and you go for operation, some of these drugs, as we know, Steve, when we talk about uh, steroids, blood thickening, uh, high blood pressure issues, et cetera, et cetera. So we can see that there's a potential risk factor involved here with some of the drugs that he's using, that perhaps it was a healthier drug use in the Caribbean and having greater access to drugs in the US might have screwed him up without him realizing. The undiagnosed, as I say, is, is very high uh, in, in uh, young black fellas. Uh, most of them, when they find out that they've got it, it's because they've been doing some kind of athletic endeavor, whether it's running around football, pro football, and whatever else. And it's more prevalent in the guys from the Caribbean. And funny enough, it is um, African-Americans. Uh, second or third generation, it doesn't seem to happen. But first, second and third generation from the Caribbean, it does. So there's a genetic thing there. Finally, of course, after the human growth hormone, and we're going to suggest as a professional bodybuilder, probably around 20 IUs a day. And again, this will probably be around competition time. Although, who knows? Looking like he did all year round, could have been something that he was doing too high of a level, 10 IUs, 15 IUs a day, all the time. There's a potential right there. The last drug, as always, and I suspect, again, it's probably towards the end of his career, and again, accessible more in the US than perhaps in the Caribbean, just for the simple fact of them not having this kind of access that we have in the Western world and in the developed countries more, uh, is uh, insulin, of course. And again, I think that was towards the end of his time. The late 90s, 2000s, when it started to make rear its head more than it had before, when guys were starting to manipulate things and, and playing around with the dietary stuff and trying to maximize their use, et cetera, et cetera. As I say, Steve, for me, the, the, I, I look at these things and I don't see any crazy numbers in terms of what we would say professional bodybuilder was doing now. But with his genetics, with the potential for the heart issue, You've, you've mentioned a bunch of times when you say that steroids are inflammatory. And how many times have we seen on the forum when the guys are asking about steroids and they come up with issues of blood pressure? When One of the things you need to look at sometimes, guys, and I've said this on the forums, 
you need to look at sometimes why a steroid was developed. Uh, and, and for example, there are a couple of steroids that specifically treat anemia. That's a lack of the right kind of uh, blood cells in your blood. So you're boosting them when you take some steroids. Now, if you already got perfectly good, healthy levels of red and white blood cells in your blood, and then you take essentially something that's going to thicken it, and then you stress your body, and then you do some of the crazy stuff and some of the crazy things, just training and nutrition, and and of course, with, with other drugs as well, and that's without getting into recreations or whatever else, and you wonder why you run up against issues, and then potentially, and again, we touched on this in a podcast earlier on, when we've got guys that are about to have an operation, asking us on the forums about taking a steroid, because the holidays coming up after the afterwards. Uh, I've got this operation in three weeks' time, but my holidays in six weeks' time. Shall I stay on cycle? Guys, here's a good example. You're, if you decide to have what might even be a, a relatively minor operation that does involve perhaps some loss of blood during the operation, which they replace, and you're on an agent, like many steroids, which is thickening your blood, that means you might bleed more or you're more likely to clot or you're more likely to need more blood during the operation and you haven't told your doctor what you're doing, then I'll be crude and call you some kind of fool. Equally, if you're kind of vaguely sensible and wait to do your cycle after the operation, but you're still not fully recovered, then let's be honest, even if it's just a simple fact of not doing your training justice, because your knee's being fixed or your elbow's being fixed, and therefore you can't train as hard as you would in the gym, don't be afraid to lose a bit of muscle and go without PEDs. They will be there waiting when you're re recovered. And you will recover because you're a sensible guy, because you took Mobster and Steve Smee's advice. That muscle that you've lost, if it goes real quick, as Steve has said, and I quoted this just yesterday on the forum, you never had to begin with, it was just water. Everything kills your game back. QED, muscle memory. You've got the rest of your damn life. Most of you guys are young. So go and get your operation. Tell your doctor what you're doing. Let the anesthesiologist know what you're doing. Don't, don't, don't be crazy and end up in this situation, which may have just been a, a freak thing. It might have been accidental. It might have been down to his genetics. It might have been something that was predisposed for through his family. But equally, look what happened heart stopped, in a coma, possibly for six weeks, might have ended up in some kind of care home, nursing home, we don't know, never competed again, completely disappeared from the scene. Is that what you guys want? Do you want to go in, get fixed, come out, be healthy, and then train, compete, do whatever the hell it is you want to do? Does it really matter that you need to stay on drugs just to look good on the beach when you've just had an operation? Trust me, guys. Modern medical science is fantastic. It really is. We can do crazy things that we couldn't do 5, 10, 15 years ago. But it's still huge trauma to your body. Someone is cutting you. They're cutting you open. They are replacing things in your body. You don't understand how major that is. If anybody's had a serious, serious operation, we'll tell you it feels like you've been hit by a donkey for days, if not weeks. I've had stuff before where I thought I was fit as a fiddle when I came back after punching lung when I was in my 20s. I'm fit, I'm strong, I'm training, I'm running to work. 
I came back to work after a week. I was on my ass in 90 minutes. It took me another two weeks to recover. And that was real, real quick. So, and that was about steroids, guys. So listen to yeah, us. Yeah, definitely, guys. They'll actually ask you if you ever go into a procedure. It doesn't even have to be a surgery. They'll ask you, what drugs are you taking? They and Tell them. And if you say, oh, I'm taking a Tylenol, they might say straight up, hey, uh, we got to reschedule your appointment. We can't take that chance. Yeah, and you're like, no, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't have mentioned it. Can you imagine being on this much gear and then going into yeah. a surgery like this? You know, because he probably cruised on a ton of steroids, not even. You can't blame the doctors if you don't tell them the truth. Yeah, and, and then they don't know. The doctors don't know that this guy's on tons of steroids. So then when the procedure yeah. happens and something goes wrong, the doctor is not going to understand. Oh, screwed. Yeah. So it's very important. To, to, yeah. to, in the U.S., right, how legitimate is the U.S.? We're going to sue them. And then the, the insurance company or, or the lawyers find out that you didn't mention all the drugs you were on. There you right away, guys. Go in and tell them the truth because your life is on the line. Your health is on the line. And if they then screw up, you told them what you were doing and they still did this stupid shit, you're going to get more compensation. But if you, you do stupid shit and then they fuck up, you want to come away with a buck because that's what you're getting. Uh, it's one of those things where you need to be. I listen. It's different here in the UK than it is in the US sometimes in terms of operations and and private versus the NHS that we have here in this kind of stuff. Um, whether I'm talking to my girlfriend or whether I'm talking to my doctor, I explain what I'm doing, and I hopefully have enough personal knowledge about myself and my own use that when I go to the doctor, when I go for tests and whatever else, and because I don't have to worry about medical insurance, etc. They go, are you taking steroids? I said, well, not right now, but I do a cycle a year. This is what I do. I try to be healthy, blah, 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 blah. If I had an operation coming up, I wouldn't do a cycle. It's as simple as that. I wouldn't do a cycle just before. I will certainly wouldn't do a cycle during. And I would, I would do my best, unless I was competing or something was coming up, not to do a cycle straight after. I would recover as best I possibly can. It's just kind of common sense. But we understand that there's guys that they're obsessed and need to do these things. If you're a pro bodybuilder, and you need to make a living from your body, from how you look, whether you're kind of model or, or a competing bodybuilder or whatever else, and your look is everything, I kind of get that you need to do certain particular things. Listen, talk to your talk to the people that follow you, explain what's going on, tell them you're going to come back better than ever, keep them engaged, let them see you be doing stuff with the operation, let them see you recovering, let them see that you're human. Don't do stuff like this. And then potentially, like Orville, Orville, you look at him, guys. Go out, go and we're going to put pictures on with, with the with the article. We're going to uh, it's going to be the screenshot that we for the front page for the videos and, and stuff like that. He was an absolute monster, an absolute freak, and boom, disappeared straight after this major major issue. We don't want any of our listeners having this kind of problem. We want you to do well. Hard to finish on this cycle for me is not a crazy kind of cycle for a top competing bodybuilder, certainly not now. So when we look at this, we kind of stand, you know what? I wouldn't want our, our average listener, our average forum member to be on this kind of cycle. I'd want them half these numbers right across the board, Steve. But for a professional bodybuilder, they're kind of almost sensible, almost. But when we look at the potential risk for a guy that's having an operation, no. Should have, if he was on stage, he shouldn't have been. If you're going to have an operation, tell them, at least give them a kind of idea that you might be taking in something that's going to thicken your blood. 
you might be taking something that's going to change your results. You might be taking something that's going to risk or up the risk a little tiny bit during the operation. If it's an insurance issue, I don't have to say to you guys because, you know, is the operation going to get paid for? You're going to get compensation if things go wrong? What do you think, Steve? Well, I just want to kind of go over in 2001, Mr. Olympia, when Orville Burke got sixth place. Look at who he was going against. Guess who was ninth place? Nasser. And we know hmm. Nasser was on tons of steroids, right? Absolute chemical yeah. warfare. Eighth Dead. place, Dexter Jackson. You know, he was on a ton of steroids, chemical warfare. Dennis James was seventh. Up. And then you had Sean Ray fourth. You know, he was doing it. Kevin Lavrone, we've talked about him. He's been doing it. Jay Cutler and Jay <laughs> Cutler fighting Ronnie Coleman for first place. Yeah. And, you know, and that was a very close Mr. Olympia. And all those guys were bunched up. The top six guys were all bunched up really close. Really, Orville that year could have gotten third place if he had gotten a few more points. I mean, it was a very, very close Mr. Olympia. Um, and you had Ray, Ronnie Coleman and Jay Cutler fighting each other. It's chemical warfare. I mean, so he had the genetics to compete against these guys, but he had to break out that chemical warfare and he had to hammer away at using these performance enhancing drugs to get himself to that level, you know? I watched the uh, press conference for that because Orville was on it and you don't really get to hear Orville talking, but man, it's got, there's a lot of back and forth on it. Craig Titus, King Kamali that we're doing a podcast on in the future uh, and, and a lot of stuff going on. And honestly, uh, some of those guys have passed away. As I mean, Nasserol somebody's dead. Uh, from 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 what we think, obviously overdoing what he was doing, and other kinds of stuff out there. Um, you you look at the bodybuilders that are still with us. You look at the bodybuilders. I know of that lineup. Uh, Dennis James is one of the few guys that's still real real big. Jay Cutler has got a pretty good physique, but we're talking about genetics again. Ronnie, of course, has had a bunch of operations, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And you've got a lot of back and forth with Sean Ray on the microphone talking about the judging and everything else. Orville's kind of quiet. What's kind of if you turn the sound down and you don't involve yourself in the politics and the back and forth between the guys, you just look, the camera pans up and down, Steve, and Orville shoulders, man. It's so, because they're all sitting down and the suit never quite looks right unless it's real, real nice when you're sitting down. But it's kind of bunched up, this crazy, crazy, honestly, he looks like he's three and a half foot across, maybe wider. So he's out there. And I think for him, he was just probably, he, he strikes me as being the kind of guy that was happy to be on stage and let these guys talk shit and, and anarchy that's us and whatever else, that kind of thing. I've, I think, because it wasn't on the, the, the version that I saw, but there's a, bu a bunch of stuff where um, Sean Ray talks about the money. And as it like, says, the top 10 are going to get the money. Everybody else is getting nothing. And there's a great comeback, which wasn't on a video I saw, but I've seen it before, which is where Ronnie says, all those years, and he goes through the years that I didn't place. I was this 19th and I got nothing, 15th and I got nothing, 14th and I got nothing. You didn't hear me complain. But of course, <laughs> when you're first, <laughs> you're taking the lion's share. So he's not going to complain when he's walking away with 250,000, 350,000, 400,000 or whatever he can be like Rob. So it's a great uh, year, certainly for the back and forth amongst the guys and what was happening in bodybuilding to watch that just for, for the, the, uh, that pre-show that they do there. It's very, very interesting. Orville doesn't say much of anything at all. And again, we've said this earlier, maybe the reason why it's so difficult with Orville, it's kind of a shame when you look at him, you want to ask him all these questions. You, if, 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 if he'd have done an interview, 
after the operation and after the issues, and he was capable. You kind of want to ask to find out if there's a lesson to be learned here and find out what kind of guy he was outside of bodybuilding. We never really got the opportunity, and it doesn't look like we will now. But as a, as someone to, to look at, guys, if you don't know who he is, if you're from the younger generation, 20 or so years of age, go look this fella up. Check out the photographs we're going to include. He was an absolute freak, super, super wide, super muscular, tiny waist. He kind of looks like Steve, I think, if we were young teenagers and we were drawing what we thought a bodybuilder would look like, kind of a half-assed amateurish, that's how he looks. He kind of looks like a, like a balloon man, a kind of freaky, what we think a bodybuilder should look, look, look like when we're 15, 16. That's how he looked. So, guys, he's, he's one of those people you should know about if only to see what is kind of crazy looking, him and a couple of other fellas that we're going to talk about in a later podcast. Check him out. Yeah, at the end of the day, this is a lesson, guys. Number one, chemical warfare. Number two, how fast life can change. Enjoy every day. Live life to the fullest, guys, because you never know. Anything can happen, and you can just basically change your life. One, one decision can change your life and send it in, in a completely different direction. All right, mobster, uh, take us into the uh, disclaimer, and we'll be done. Well, this is this was number one forty nine. Orville Burke, probably a guy most of you have never heard of. I know I've never heard of the guy. And it was a very interesting character, though. Uh, his back was incredible. So check out those pictures for sure. Huge. Right, guys, as always, please note we're not doctors and the opinions that we put in these podcasts and videos are hours and hours alone. It is our view and it's based on our experience and views on the topic in question. Our podcasts are for informational purposes and entertainment only. The freedom of speech and the First Amendment rule applies.